we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we are doing Changing Your Mind. Welcome, Ed. Hey, Ron. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, my, my mind is a little fried. I spent, uh, the better part of this week in, in Las Vegas, which as you know, is not my favorite city, but, uh, did get a chance to hang out with the good folks at the AICPA engage conference out there. And that's always a good time to see a, a, a lot of those, uh, those folks who, who came by and said hello to, to me and, and, and mentioned the show. Always, always like to hear that, that we keep people stimulated. And I uh, got a chance to do my session on Shut Up and Eat Your French Fries, which, you know, as, as you know, is a previous episode here we, on asking effective questions. And it was, it, it was well received. So uh, good, some, some, some fun stuff. So what do you do this week, Ron? Oh, boy. Uh, I got back from Scaling New Heights from last week in Orlando, so down at Walt Disney World. That's always fun. And I was in New Jersey or New York prior to that in a law mm-hmm. firm. And then, Ed, that's kind of where I got the idea for this topic. Uh, well, <laughs> it, uh, I emailed Ed, folks, and said, Ed, what do you think about doing changing your mind? And it's something we never really have talked about. I mean, we've talked about it in the sense of topics and ideas that we've changed our mind on over the years. But... I meant more the process that you mm-hmm. go through. And, and Ed, this struck me, first off, when you work with lawyers, it's, it's one big debate. <laughs> right? Constantly. So, yes, it's, it's just one massive debate. And, and, and this firm was actually fantastic. And they told me afterwards, they said, well, look, if, if you were the lead prosecutor, we would vote to you know, give, give it the death penalty. We're talking about the timesheets and the billable hour. And they said it was really good. Uh, the guy told me I should have been a litigator, uh, <laughs> which I thought was a pretty good compliment coming from an attorney. Right. But I'm sitting, and and so Ed, I'm about to do. I'm about to fly to Orlando to do this session at Scaling New Heights, and one of the sessions I did was what replaces the timesheet. So it kind of goes just like our show on on trashing the timesheet that we did. We talked about the four defenses of timesheets. We need them for pricing. We need them for project management. We need them to determine the efficiency of our people. And we need them to do cost accounting to figure out, you know, profit per job or profit per customer. Sure. Well, this session was going to take on that last one hard. It was going to take on the cost accounting defense. Now, this is a, the first time I'm presenting this material in the way that I designed it. And you could say to a very hostile audience, right? You're talking to accountants and bookkeepers who do job costing and, you know, timesheets and all the rest. Not, not just for them, but, but for, their, for, for their customers as well. Right, right, right. So I knew it was going to be very hostile and I knew it was going to be a lot of skepticism around it and 
you know, of course you're going to use the line of, you know, I'm not here to have you think like me. I want you to think with me, right? Right. Yep. But, but I'm sitting in the Newark airport waiting for my flight, and I'm reading a white paper by Deirdre McClowski that she published with the American Enterprise Institute, and it's called Economic Liberty is Anti-Flourishing, Marx and Especially His Followers. Now, this was a fascinating paper on, on many levels because one of the things, you know, she's talking about Marxism and she introduces a couple of uh, new terms that I really like. She calls them Marxoid, Marxoids. Okay. Because she says, you know, <laughs> followers of Marx are more interesting than the man himself. Now, that's an interesting perspective. It is a very interesting perspective. And so, so she coins a couple of you know, really interesting terms and all that. She also recounts a joke I never heard. Groucho Marx, the comedian, once denied a communist friend a job. And he said, Harry, I wouldn't want to exploit you. Uh, <laughs> that's I thought that was, that was pretty funny. But in this paper, Ed, she quotes a philosopher, Emil Oxenberg Rorty, a female philosopher. And this is what the philosopher said. A crucial principle for coming to know the truth is namely our ability to engage in continuous conversation, testing one another, discovering our hidden presuppositions, changing our minds because we have listened to the voices of our fellows. She said, lunatics also change their minds but their minds change with the tides of the moon and not because they have listened, really listened to their friends' questions and objections. And that a light bulb went on. I said, I'm coming before these people as a friend. Actually, actually I'm one of them, right, but I'm sure. a friend. Mm -hmm. And I have questions and objections about cost accounting. And, and I want you to hear this because this is, you know, this was a process for me, just like any change of mind. And, and I, and I want to present it to you. And so I started my session with this quote, put up a picture of Rorty and all that. And, and then I asked the audience, how many of you have changed your mind on a significant issue? And I'm not talking about, you know, going from red to white wine or from chocolate to vanilla ice cream. But I mean, something substantial like a political ideology, you know, you went from being a Democrat to a Republican or vice versa or a liberal conservative or from conservative to libertarian or, or you went from pro-life to pro-choice, mm -hmm. right? So something significant. Everybody in that room raised their hand. We've all changed our mind. Yeah, I would hope and, so. But yeah, I, I, I happen to think if you're not changing your mind, you're not using it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, but it was a pretty effective way to disengage what could have been a very hostile presentation or thought of at least as, as hostile or at least, you know, because you're standing in front of them telling them, look, your worldview on this is wrong. <laughs> you know, what we, what we learned in cost accounting is wrong. And boy, it made that a lot easier. And so the presentation, they, I think they were far more open and receptive to the message. And based on the feedback I got, Afterwards, um, it, it had an impact. I mean, one woman came up to me who used to be an engineer, and you know how logical those oh, people right. are. 
And she said, you know, it's, it's great to see somebody use critical thinking and logic in the presentation. She said, that's really rare. <laughs> yeah. 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 And well, engineers are triple double, right? That's not, not even an accountant, but an engineer. That's, that's beyond, beyond the, what was normally asked of us. So that's pretty interesting. But right, that's like you know, two left brains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A double left brain. It really, as you were talking there, Ron, it's just it is such a, a fascinating subject. And I think you know one one of the the things that came up this week, I was just just talking to some folks and really giving a couple of people some coaching on their presentations I sat in on. And the the one thing that that I had re-noticed about their presentation that was really missing was something I'd heard a long time ago, and that is connection before content. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Connection before content. You've got to make some kind of emotional connection with the people that you're talking with before you start sharing content with them. And and I, I will say this, uh, you know, you and I, well, I, I won't speak for you because I can't. I, I am sometimes guilty of that. I am sometimes guilty of just jumping right into, you know, here's the content. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and in fact, I know I've said that to you on, on various occasions. Let's just jump in. Let's just jump in. Right? <laughs> you know, yep. Boom. We're going to just jump in. And I think that that might be a problem. And one of the things that it reminded me to do, which I then did uh, during my session, which was on Thursday, the session that I was coaching some people on happened, happened on, on Wednesday. And was I, instead of just standing in front of the room, I stood in the back. Actually, it was on the side because that's where the door was. And I greeted people on the way in. Right. Right. Right rather than just have them come in and sit down. And I had two people come up to come up to me afterwards and say that that was that was really important to them, including the the, the person who was the the door monitor for the AICPA. She said, "I have never seen that done before. That that was outstanding. Wow." Right. That really does separate you. Paul Apollo Byrne used to do that. Paul Dunn does that mm-hmm. every talk he gives and it's it's very very effective. Right. Right. But, you know, you're right. I think if you look at the ancient Greeks, that w- what was their order? Ethos, pathos, and logos, right? right? right. The, and the logic comes last. So mm-hmm. it's it's making that emotional connection, that that bonding with the audience. Um, and, and that was part of it, Ed. I mean, that's why I always like to say, you know, think with us, not like us, and all of that. And, and you know, I, 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 and, and I told them, look, I don't expect to change your mind on this. Because, and, and this was the other point. I said, I don't expect to change your mind on this. And this, Milton Friedman used to say, he says, if I can change your mind in a 100-minute session, your mind's not worth changing. Because <laughs> when you go to the next 100-minute session, they're going to change it to something else. Right, I, sure. I mm. want you to grapple with this. I want you to wrestle with it like you wrestle with these other things that you've changed your mind on. I mean, and then I started thinking about it. Um, how many things have you changed your mind on you know, relatively fast, like maybe even in a day or because you read a book. So maybe a book over a period of days or a week or something. But then how many issues have you changed your mind where it might have taken years from an initial chink in the armor then to, you know, thinking, wow, wait a minute, this my, my worldview doesn't explain everything. There's alternates out there. There's alternate ways of looking at it or alternate evidence that I've never considered before. And that process may take years. Right. Oh, absolutely. And 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 the first, of course, is recognition of that fact. You know, and I have have said this a, a lot of places. But one of the reasons why I'm libertarian is I came to 
came to the, the, the very harsh discovery in my mid-30s that I don't know everything, right? I don't even know what's right for me most of the time. Yep. Yep. I, I, I've, I've done things that have really messed up my life, like really bad, you know? <laughs> and, and, and like, if I, if I can't, if I, if I don't know what's right for me, how, how hubristic is it of me to think that I could impose what I think on somebody else? Absolutely, and and right. that was that was part of what Deirdre was saying in this paper. You know, she says, "Look, I used to be a Marxist," and she, in other words, she was kind of like writing as a friend, right? Mm-hmm. But then I started to question it and have all these objections. And you know, she also talks about how many economists, you know, have gone, and it's mostly from the left to the right. I mean, the the number of people that have gone from the right to the left, um, either in economics or just politically. I mean, you could stuff in a phone booth. I mean, I can think of some, but mm-hmm. there's been a ton that have gone the other way. I mean, Thomas Sowell, Deirdre McClowski. I mean, we a lot of them have been on our show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in fact, the only one that I can think of, and I'm sure there are more, but the only one that I can think of off the top of my head is Ariana Huffington. That's Huffington. the only one. That's the only one I think of that like right up, and I'm sure there are others. And uh, please, if there's listeners out there who ha- who, who I, I do want to hear about a couple of others, believe me, because I think that would be good to have. But David Broder, uh, or, or David Brock, I'm sorry, who's now oh, he, he, okay. he went from right to left, and 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 there are others. If I thought about it, I could I could come up with others. But she was talking about how just how prevalent it is going the other way, and it just got me to thinking of of other things. So. I, I just want to explore this, but I just thought it would be really interesting to explore this topic uh, and talk about, you know, what's it like to change your mind on something. Um, so we will do that, folks, when we come back from this break. But in the meantime, you can contact Ed or myself at AskTSOE at Verisage.com and follow us on Twitter live at, at AskTSOE. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You. 
You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about changing your mind. And reportedly, John Maynard Keynes once said, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? Hmm. <laughs> well, apparently, he never said that, Ed, but it's, it's, it's often attributed to him. I don't know who said it, but somebody should have said it because it's a great line. It is a great line. It is a great line. I, and, and I feel much better thinking that he, he didn't say that because I'm not a big Keynes fan. So. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. So let me ask you this, Ed. Do you think people who won't change their mind are dangerous? Wow. Okay, let's ponder that for a second. And I, of course, reserve the right to give an answer and then change my mind. Um, of course. I, I, th- I think that people who who won't consider changing their mind are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I, 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 I do believe that there's a lot of people who don't change their mind, and, but they still think about stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, and the, and they're they're willing to to be wrong about something, and they're wi- they are willing to listen to the other other side of the issue, and even even try to figure it out and wrestle with it, but ultimately then up not changing their mind. Um, if 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 you're asking me an a, like a, a, an absolutist question, as in if somebody never changes their mind ever, yeah, they they could be dangerous. You know, I'm reading Ed Catmull's book, and he is one of the founders of Pixar. Mm. And it's called Creativity, Inc. And it, it, it's a great book because uh, he's talking about, you know, just all, all the things you need to do to, to build and nurture and sustain a creative culture. And it, it's actually really, really thought-provoking. And, of course, this guy, because Steve Jobs bought Pixar from Lucasfilms and, and then tried to sell them, by the way, many times, like the Microsoft at one point. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, good thing that didn't happen. <laughs> we wouldn't have yeah, all really. these great Pixar movies. But anyway, he developed uh, quite a close working relationship with Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs intimidated the hell out of him, especially in the early days. Because I can he, see that. <laughs> He said his presence was just, you know, so charismatic and he would just dominate a room and, and just take over and look just the force of his personality. But but he said what I really grew to appreciate about Jobs was that he would change his mind. He would change his mind, even though, boy, when he said something, you know, he thought he was right. and That was the only way to go and and blah, blah, blah. But he he would change his mind on on presented with alternative evidence or something. Um, and I just, it's just really interesting. Yeah. And I, I have encountered a lot of people in, in my business career who don't change their mind easily. And one of the things that I have noticed about this, and I wonder if this is true of, of jobs as well, is that someone who does, who, who has, has, has made it to the, the, the top of the, 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 the corporate food chain, let's say. You didn't get there by 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 being stupid, and you didn't get there by never changing your mind. But what you got there by was either changing your mind quick enough or being right a lot. Right. So you're right a lot, <laughs> and uh, I, I think that 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 becomes a bit of an issue. And like this guy, and 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 saying that he was intimidated by jobs, I can see how a lot of people are intimidated when when they're where they're working with a CEO or president of an organization. 
and, and as I have many times in my consulting career. But what I found is, is that oftentimes they will push back initially no matter what. And, but if you stand your ground, if you're willing to defend your position, even once, that's when they're more likely to say, okay, I will listen to you this second time. In other words, they're testing your resolve the first time. So this perhaps is a bit of a consulting tip out there. It's just an observation that I've had in my consulting career that you, what you, if, if you are convicted about something and you're dealing with somebody as a, as a consultant or higher up in your organization, stand your ground. Don't, don't just capitulate, but make sure you've got it, got it backed up by some evidence and some facts too, or, or even a strongly held belief. No, that's exactly what he says about Jobs. Jobs was testing you because if he felt, because he admired passion, and mm. he admired people who really believed what, what they were advocating, whatever it was. And if you crumbled when he said, well, that's a dumb idea or that's, you know, that's crap at one of his favorite lines, right? Something like that's crap or whatever. Um, but I bet it was slightly stronger than crap, but yeah, okay. it was, it was, uh, I just didn't want to say it on a family show, but, uh, <laughs> w- but when you push back on him, then he would, he would relent and back down. He, this guy talks about, uh, you know, there's a few tough phone calls he had with jobs about, you know, hey, we don't have money to meet payroll. You're going to have to, you know, sink in more money. Mm-hmm. I mean, jobs sunk a lot of money into Pixar before it did anything, right. you know, before it produced a dollar. And, uh, you know, when jobs pushed back, this guy said, look, I, you've made commitments to there's family members and there's husbands and wives and sons and daughters. And, you know, he really went on a rant and, and you know, jobs wrote the check. I mean, <laughs> so you had wow. to stand up to him. So your 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 observation is exactly right. Oh, okay. Well, see, there you go. And I didn't even read the book. No <laughs> reading necessary, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of other things, though, Ed, in the book that are really interesting from a project management perspective, and and how Pixar deals with just you know how they manage all of that because they've got you know so many things going on, even for one movie. Right, it's just a production kind of a PM nightmare, if you ask me. But anyway, um, b- back to this issue. Let me ask you: What's a, th- a topic that you changed your mind on that happened? I mean, like real fast, like maybe after reading a book or within a day or a week. Wow. Was the libertarian thing that way, or did was that more of a gradual process? Uh, that was more of a gradual process, although I can I can point to a specific moment in time where I became fully committed. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that qualifies, but I I've thought of myself as libertarian for much much longer, but was still in let's call it one one of the two uh, mainstream parties, mm-hmm. uh, although the old parties as we like to refer to them, but. It was the whole when when John McCain suspended his campaign to mm-hmm. fix the crisis in two thousand eight. Remember that he, yes, you know, he yes. decided that he had he had to fly back into Washington to fix the fix everything. I was like, I'm done. I, I, I am just done. Yep. <laughs> yep. But there was a lot of thinking and reading and pondering and listening to different viewpoints prior. I mean, prior to that. A lot of thinking and reading before that, sure. I, I, you know, I, I'll, and I'll give it some thought as we're talking here. I'm, I'm sh- I, I can't. It, it, your question is not unknown to me in that I'm sure there is something that I could, it, that I, if I thought about it long enough, ago, yeah, this would be it. Like I had a, a a preconceived notion about somebody or someone, and then there was just a moment where it was like, okay, no, 
that, that that's wrong and just dismissed it. Right. Right. It, 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 you know, when I started thinking about this, I actually tried to make a list, which I don't know, maybe completely futile, but it dawned on me that it, if you make a list like that, the things in the business world that, that you change your mind on, uh, you know, a lot of which we've dealt with on this show, you know, that list for me is longer than the list, like, say, in the political or economic realm where I've changed my mind. Sure, because it's more belief-oriented, I would think, right? You know, and that's that, that's one of the the, the pyramids. I, I think this was, was Daniel Goleman, right, and his work on, on emotional intelligence. He had this kind of pyramid view of things where the, the, very, the very top of the pyramid is your actions, then below that is your emotions, then your thoughts, and then your beliefs. Right. And what he talked about is that there's a, you know, that what's an emotional hijacking is when your actions and emotions just are linked and nothing is really going back and you've, you've devoid, you, you, you've cut off the thought process. And, but, and most of us only operate on under that thought process level. It's very, not very often that you actually go back and you question a belief down at the bottom of the pyramid. Right. right? You might question a thought, you might question a fact, but then your your first thing is to try to reinterpret the that fact in the context of what your belief system currently is. Right. And, right. you know, just reading some neuroscience on this, I mean, we don't treat all of our beliefs the same, right? If you've ever heard that myth about, oh, you know, the last thing the astronaut saw, you know, was the Great Wall of China, right? Well, mm-hmm. you really can't see the Great Wall of China <laughs> from, from space, space no. right? So we can give up that misconception pretty easily, or we, we can read about that, or we can hear an astronaut say that or whatever, and then we'll change our mind. But your most cherished beliefs, you're, you're actually, you're, you're actually going to hear alternative evidence or other things, and your challenged beliefs actually grow stronger, and, they, and your resolve deepens. The psychologists call this a backfire effect. Interesting. <laughs> Which interesting. is interesting. It is really interesting. It's almost like the way we deal with a physical threat, right? Mm-hmm. It's fight or flight. And wow, that, that's kind of scary that we, we become more entrenched when we're presented with alternative evidence on our most profoundly held beliefs. Well, and I'm sure that, that that's, it. well, as you mentioned, it's biological, but it's, it's also evolutionary to a certain extent, too. And that, that, that that's, a, that's a good thing to hold on to, right? In most circumstances, not in all. But in m- most circumstances, it's not something that you would want to quickly and 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 dis- dismiss. Well, just like you said, if I can change your mind in a ninety-minute session, then I question whether or not your mind's worth changing. M- the Milton Friedman line, right? Right. That it, it it shouldn't be something that's automatic. You know, I'm just going to bring this up now. I I made a you know a couple of notes on this that I, I wanted to, to chat with you on this, and I I think that I I've met people who've changed their religion. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Uh, I've met people who've changed political parties. Yep. Right. Uh, I've met people who. So those are are pretty deeply held beliefs. Right. I've I've met people who have, uh, you know, moved from one state to the other. In fact, I'm one of those people. Right. And have Mm -hmm. cherished views of their their homeland. But now say, hey, where I'm living now is better. Right. And I think that's a deeply held belief about wherever it was you originally born. Sure. Right. You know what I can say? I've never met anybody who's changed their mind on something. Changed their mind on the first sports team that they ever rooted for. 
<laughs> That's a good one. I am uh, dead serious about that. Like I cannot recall ever say like if you were if, if the first sports team you ever rooted for was this, right? That you ever said, oh yeah, I, I gave up on them and I flipped to a different team. Okay, well, Ed, <laughs> I, I I might be the guy then. You're the guy. Oh, see, now you're going to ruin my life right now. Sorry. Sorry, but when I grew up in my hometown, Santa Rosa, California, the that's where the Raiders trained. Uh-huh. So you you you'd be able to go down to the hotel where that you know there was a field there, and you could watch them play. You even see them around town, you mm-hmm. know, like in restaurants or ice cream shops or whatever. And and you know they'd sign stuff for you. They were really cool. And this was back in the John Madden, Fred Blitnikoff oh, days. Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah, the yeah. Raiders, man, they were my team. Um, but when I aged and got into college, guess what? I became a 49er fan. Wow. That count? I guess so. But do you like hate the Raiders now? Are you like no, anti Raider? But okay. I much prefer the 49ers to win. Much prefer the 49ers. But the but if the Raiders are playing somebody else, it, as long as it's not the 49ers, you're like, yeah, okay, I'll root for the Raiders. I, I would root for the Raiders. Yeah, there's a place in my heart for them for sure. Place in your heart. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, still, that's different though. That uh, you, you may you might be the one. But I will say that for whatever reason, I do think that sports teams are one of those deeply held beliefs that don't people don't give up on very that's easily. Great, it's a great example. It's a great example. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, here we are up against a break, Ron, and this uh, topic is flying by. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Uh, We want to remind you that you can contact me or Ron if you want at asktsoe at verisage.com. The website, of course, is thesoulofenterprise.com. Uh, I'm very proud of our archive page, which has been up uh, about six months now, where you can take a look at all, I believe it's 147 shows as of this yeah. one that you Amazing. can view. I know, it, and the page keeps getting longer and longer, so if you're interested in any of those shows, you can go back and listen to them on our archive page. But right now, a word from our sponsor. of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. 
the business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody we're talking about changing your mind and the whole process that that entails and Ed, I'll, uh, I'll come clean here and make a confession. Even though we're not as interested in the topic that you changed your mind about as we are the process of changing your mind. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, um, I was a teacher's assistant for the accounting instructor, and that gave me a ton of free time like you wouldn't believe. So I used to sit around and read the Wall Street Journal. This would have been 78, 79. And I can remember this was during the Chrysler bailout. Right. And I can remember being a strong advocate that the government should bail out Chrysler. Now, this no, was, Ron! This, uh, this was when my mind was mush. And <laughs> it was partly influenced because my accounting professor felt the same way. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I didn't know it, I didn't know up from down with respect to economics at all until I got into college. And, and then my mind started to be gradually changed there because I actually had a pretty conservative, and that's the word for him, conservative, uh, economics instructor, and I started to read Milton Friedman. I began to read Ayn Rand, and started to believe in you know Friedman's philosophy, monetar- monetarism, all of that. Even though I was being taught Keynes, and I even uh, I had some I had reservations about Keynes, but I couldn't articulate them. So I used to think, well, this is pretty cool. You can actually fine tune the economy with some of this stuff, right? You know? And and I didn't know why it was wrong. But then, and I've told this story on the air before, but, you know, then I read George Gilder's Wealth and Poverty. And that is an example in one sitting that rocked my world. And it overthrew Keynesianism. It overthrew parts, not all, but parts of Friedman. Certainly it overthrew monetarism. And Ed, it overthrew Ayn Rand for me. Um, Because as much as I admire her, you know, her last public talk Yes, <laughs> was yep. bashing George Gilder's wealth and poverty, and I've yep. got it. I found the audio and then bought it, and she does. I even think she names them. Mm-hmm. She certainly names the book because, of course, he's his whole premise is that capitalism is based on altruism, um, and uh, it also taught me the importance of the entrepreneur because that was something that was missing in in all the study of economics. Is nobody talked about the central role? of the entrepreneur mm-hmm. and Gilder brought all of those things. So that was, that was a set of beliefs that happened to me pretty fast, but other things took years to change my mind on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, a lot, lot in there to, to unpack on my side. I, I like you, I didn't take any economics until college, but had a, had a very Keynesian experience with, you know, of course, the Samuelson book, which I think just about everybody uses mm-hmm. and, and which, which promoted Keynesianism. And I knew, I knew that, that, that it was wrong from the get go. I mean, there was just, it just did not make any sense to me. <laughs> um, I, but like you, I couldn't articulate a different a different point of view because I, I hadn't discovered any of these guys. In fact, really mostly until after I, I met you, to be frank, um, had, hadn't studied a lot of, lot of economics, but 
I want to. I want to jump issues here. If you're if you're coming clean on this, I, I want to. Uh, and this might be an example of the uh, of an instantaneous change. Although again, there's still thought process behind it. And this is an extraordinarily personal one, and and you know this is probably the last thing that our listeners are ready to to hear on a radio show, uh, and that is changing my view on abortion. And let me let me ex- ex- explain. As I, I, I as I've mentioned many times, brought up Roman Catholic, so there was a there was a, a clear belief in in uh, in that right away, uh, from from you know the the earliest I can remember, homilies were were raging against Roe v. Wade, right? Mm-hmm. So, and now I'm not I'm not going to state that I've I'm I've come over to be a a radical pro-choice person. Right, I I don't think that that that's the case. But let me give you the very specifics of it. I read a a book which explained the biology of uh, the the difference between when when you know the sperm and the egg come together, fertilization, right, and yep. imp, and implantation. Yeah. Right. And the notion that when when you have a fertilization, the egg, which then become, is then is then called a zygote. By the way, that's at that point it's called a zygote. That's the 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 medical term for it, or the biological term, I should say. And that zygote will then divide, I believe, up to either thirty-two or sixty-four cells. It's something like that, mm-hmm. right? And then it will stop. Then it will it will it will no longer continue to divide until implantation. Right. Right. And at that point, then it continues its journey. So upon reading that, I had this major reflection and said, well, if 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 it's only good, if it gets to a certain point and stops, then all of the necessary conditions for for life, a human life, as we know it, are not present. Mm -hmm. Right. There there has to be this other process that takes place in order for that to continue. So it, it, when asked on the political trail, you know, what my position on, on, on abortion is, and I, I, you know, don't go into this much of a detailed explanation of it, but I do, do talk about the fact that I would, that I'm okay with, uh, what is that? The RU486 mm-hmm. pill or whatever the, the, that yep. a lot, a lot of, uh, are, are taking the, the morning after pill it's sometimes called because that, prevents the condition for implantation mm-hmm. right yep. and therefore it, it doesn't allow implantation to take place it also changed my opinion on the on the use of stem cells right uh, and and, and uh, in vitro fertilization and the use of stem cells in other research because I think well that th- that those 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 zygotes are not going to continue to grow anymore now look I I, I do this not because I want to infuriate any anyone or any one of our listeners, but to give a, a very personal illustration of the mind change process that happens. Because I, I think this is a really good example, and I hope I hope my sharing it doesn't doesn't offend or upset anyone. But uh, but 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 to 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 try to explain explain that through, because I, I do think this this whole notion of changing your mind is is such an important topic. It is, and, I, and and look, I have tremendous respect for our audience, and I know they can deal with this because I was going to bring up abortion too because I used to be passionately pro-choice, and I used to make arguments for it, and I used to argue with people about it, even in college. But my mind gradually, this was one that took many years, and I wrestled with this, and I grappled with it, and I started to seek out other 
thinkers who I admired, people like Michael Novak, William F. Buckley, and I read a couple papal encyclicals that mm-hmm. had a profound impact on me from Pope John Paul. Um, and I changed my mind, and now I'm, I'm adamantly pro-life. Um, but that was, a, that was a very, very gradual process. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I just, you're right. It, it, it's the, and it's the process I'm interested in because when I, when I look at my list of things I've changed my mind on in business, I, if you go back to my very first book, uh, I, I said, don't offer your customer a menu of options mm-hmm. because you don't, you don't ever want to make an, anybody sacrifice. You want to develop it, just customize it just for them. You're like a bespoke suit or something. And the problem with that is of course, you know, you're you're not you're not leveraging all the behavioral economic effects. So behavioral economics changed my mind about offering options. Um, you know, I've obviously changed on hourly billing, timesheets, on measurement itself, on cost accounting, on on the value of gap. Even uh, one of the things I brought up at the scaling conference, it was funny. One of the early keynotes, the day I wasn't there, one of the early keynotes was the Briggs Myers. Oh, good. Person. And and I saw a picture of it on Facebook, and they had all the you know I N J T yeah I O and all that crap, and and I told the group I said how many sat through that presentation, and you know a lot of well it was a general session so they almost all raised their hand and I said it's all crap I said it's all crap it's all hokum and you're looking at a former Briggs Myers certified trainer, but I changed my mind on it because I've Red evidence that takes these things down, uh, I mean, to nothing, to Ouija board status, not even that high. And, uh, you know, they they kind of laughed at that, but it was uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> it was uncomfortable laughter because, you know, yeah, it looks really impressive up there on the big screen. You have all these profiles and, oh, yeah, that's where I'm at. You know, it's like reading your horoscope. Yep. Yeah. We and we've documented the, the, the illusion of the illusion of science. But well, I, I just want to ju- just finish this segment up by 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 you know talking about this 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 the, you know the personal issue of this again. Say this the, again. Wh- you know why am I a libertarian kind of deal? Because I I and this I honestly believe that people of good intentions can have deeply held beliefs about very serious issues. And but they're both pe- people of good faith, meaning that their their belief is sincere, it's it's well thought out, um, and it's and it's clearly important to them. And what drives me crazy is people who are just so dismissive of the other side completely, and just saying, well, you know, they just want to you know kill as many kids as possible. I mean, that that rhetoric. That infuriates me. They more impugn than, their motives and, and they attach exactly. Yeah, they attach evil. It's not right versus wrong. It's good versus evil. Couldn't mm-hmm. couldn't agree with that more. Um, because you know, look, we all walk around with mental models of the way the world works. Otherwise, we couldn't function. But our our models aren't reality. They're just tools. And you know, not that. And I think you can go to the other extreme and have you know, such an open mind that you, you, you'll fall for anything, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't stand for something, you'll, you will fall for everything. I, I truly believe that as well. Um, but I also, I, I am so conscious just reading the history of ideas and how many things we used to believe that just turn out to be just ridiculous, you know, as, as Hayek even talks about in a lot of his work, that really knowledge is only ignorance postponed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah, so, so true. 
There's a lot so of confirmation bias out there, you know. That, yeah. Oh, yeah. And 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 we're all guilty of it. I we're all guilty of it. There's no. I I I look for I'm confirmation biased on all, all many things all of the time, and 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 even like some, something will start. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna like this this uh, you know Russ Roberts uh, show because I I agree with the very first sentence that the person says. <laughs> so exactly. I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> But Ed, just before we go to the break, just because you brought up uh, economist Paul Samuelson, whose textbook you use, I did not, by the way. My my teacher couldn't stand the guy, but uh, <laughs> he's Paul Samuelson did say this, which I thoroughly love. He said, "I'm willing to be occasionally wrong, but what I hate most in life is to stay wrong." Mm. And I think that kind of sums up this whole idea that you've got to be receptive to opening your mind to change. It's kind of like, yeah, we know what's on this side of the door, but there's a lot of uncertainty on the other side of the door. And maybe if you cross over, you, you just might change your mind based on new things that you see. That's right. And that doesn't mean that you can't be convicted about something, but you you still also have to at least give, give the possibility of truth the other place. So one of my favorite Thomas Aquinas quotes is, we, we must look for the truth even in, if it's in the devil himself. Uh, and I and I think that, that that's an important piece. All right. Well, one more segment on this, Ron. I know we want to do a shout out to a, a listener who wrote a great piece about us. But uh, we do also maybe finish up this topic. want to remind you, you can contact Ron or me at asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, if you want to do take a look at our, our book that's out there, The Soul of Enterprise, available on Amazon. Easiest way to get there, though, is thesoulofenterprise.com slash book. And that will take you immediately to the Amazon page. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. You know, Ron, we're a big 
fans of the show, uh, the Americans, and in in that show, they, they 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 two of the characters have attended the EST training, Erno seminar yes. training, and it it just reminded me that that you know Werner Earhart was a weird dude, like he was. It's a weird dude, but there's just a a quote that I have to share with you because it is 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 in in uh, in alignment with with what this show is about, and what he says is all transformation is linguistic. If we want to change our culture, we need to change our conversation. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because I think this is an important piece of. And this is the wrong phrase. It's not getting other people to change their mind. I don't think you can get others to change their mind. I think you can create some necessary conditions that assist people in maybe rethinking something. And for me, one of the ways that you can do that is to change your language in the presence of others. And Ron, you and I have experienced this when we've taught our uh, you know, two two or three day classes where one of the, the the key predictive indicators we look for if there's going to be success in that class, meaning people are going to take these ideas and, and really run with them, is we listen for them to begin to change some of their language, right? They stop saying client maybe and start using customer or they and or they catch themselves saying efficiency and say, no, what I really mean is effectiveness. So we're, we're listening for some of those changes. And, and I think that's one of the secrets to to then getting change ha- to happen in an organization is for you as an individual to just begin to change your own language and l- allow people to perhaps follow that. And then even when you ask, they, they're asked, well, why, why have you done that? You can explain. And then that puts them in this position of, of perhaps uh, being able to rethink something on their own. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, this is what I've learned from Deirdre McClowski, right? The importance of rhetoric, you know, that whole persuasive aspect. And and even though, Ed, this paper talks, she's writing about Marxism and how the, you know, Marxist followers are more interesting than Marx himself. That's what she's trying to do. She's saying, look, you're my friends and you need to listen to my questions and objections about this. And that's why she she coined the term Marxoids. Because, you know, if you just call somebody a Marxist, they, you know, they could get offended. But mm-hmm. Marxoid means you're a follower, right? It's it's a real interesting play on words. But, yeah, I couldn't agree more. We, we call that verbal assault, by the way, when they pick up on our language. Right. And, and it is a key predictive indicator. You know, back when um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving were trying to really change the whole, just the whole zeitgeist around drinking and driving and DUI and all of that. An advertising agency, I believe it was in Canada, came up with the idea of a designated driver. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they gave it that term and then they had to get that term accepted. And they did it by putting it into sitcoms and, and in soap operas and in popular, you know, movies and things like that. And, and it just became part of our language. You know, right. who's going to be today's designated, tonight's designated driver? And it was incredibly effective from that behavioral standpoint, so it goes to exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, Arthur Schopenhauer, the philosopher, said all truth passes through three stages. And and we've seen this play out just with the timesheet and the hourly billing debate. First, it's ridiculed. Second, mm-hmm. it's violently opposed. <laughs> and, and third, it's accepted as being self-evident. Uh, right. I would actually add a fourth level to that, which is, I told you it was a good idea all along. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I never objected. What do you mean I objected? <laughs> Only a moron would object. I knew this would work. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So anyway, but yeah, great, great topic. Ed. I just, I just really got me thinking about the process of changing your mind and just to reflect on that and the things that I have changed my mind about and how long it took and, you know, yeah. what, were the, what were the reasons for it. It was really interesting. Yeah, thank you for 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 bringing it up and 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 quite literally, folks. This this was a a text I received from Ron earlier this week. How about this? And I just responded, "Yep." <laughs> like, okay, yeah. here we go. <laughs> I said he he didn't call me an idiot. He said that that's a stupid <laughs> idea. No, he went with it. <laughs> so Ed, we got to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Mark Gandy, uh, is the head coach and general manager of Free Agent CFO. And I think he start. I think this is his first blog post. I, I believe that's correct. And we will link this to uh, on the show notes. But the title of the post is "Free Agent CFO Loves the Soul of Enterprise" podcast. And then he just goes on to describe the show, his favorite episodes, which and Ed, he's listened to almost all of them. He skipped Free Rider Fridays for a while. He said, because I wasn't sure, but then I went back to him and now I love him. He says, don't ever stop doing these, you guys. <laughs> but maybe his favorite show is the best learning method ever devised. So the after action review. Wow. But, but he talks about the interview with Joe Pine and he talks about Rory Sutherland and the second law of marketing. And he loves your all, con- we're all consultants now. And he loves your project management ones. He liked the lessons from the trading game. The KPI show. He loved earning our mouse ears. Um, and, and then he just goes on to, he actually even suggests guests um, that, and I've looked at some of the resources that he's linked to. He's linked to some really interesting books, some really interesting articles. I've already read a couple. I watched a video um, that he linked to. And uh, wow, it was just, Thank you so much, Mark. I mean, you made my day. This is definitely a high satisfaction day, Ed. Oh, clearly, yep. And 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 I, in truth be told, I've been traveling all week and just had a chance to skim the article for the first time last night. And like you, was was really blown away. I did connect with him this morning on LinkedIn and just said, "Wow!" And I, I'm I look forward to to reading the whole thing. You know, I I'm pretty sure, Ron, that like that our that our moms haven't listened to all of the episodes so that's that's pretty impressive (laughs) yeah a shout out to my dad by the way it's his 80th birthday today ed really 1937 (laughs) so happy birthday dad and my dad might he might have listened to every episode he 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 keeps up and and he might fall a few weeks behind, but then he binges on us. So, uh. okay. Well, happy birthday, Sam Baker. Sam, Sam Baker, the barber. By the way, I love that. That's one of my favorite things to say. So so thank you, Mark Andy. This was incredibly nice of you, and I just uh, I'm just overwhelmed, and words can't express uh, how grateful and how much gratitude uh, I have to you, and I'm sure Ed does too for taking the time to write this and and listen to all of our shows. We really appreciate that. Yep, we tr- we clearly do. So thank thank you, Mark, and um, keep keep listening. And, and thanks for the recommendation. We 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 truly appreciate it. So Ed, on the Americans, are you through the fifth season? Nope, stuck at the end of season four. I and I I've pro- I've promised Christine that I would watch with her, and we just haven't had the opportunity okay. to uh, continue on. So I'll, I'm gonna la 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 la. No spoilers, please. No, no, no. I won't. I won't. I'm I'm through the fifth season. So now I'm anxiously awaiting the sixth season, which you tell me will be the last one, right? Yes, and a shortened, abbreviated one at that. Wow. Okay. Well, listen. What's up next week? 
Next week, Ron, we have an interview, one of our interviews with Mike Michalowicz from Profits First Professionals. Looking forward to that. Uh, Mike has had both of us on his program, so we look forward to turning the microphone on him, so to speak. Absolutely. See you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world to the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. We'll have the interviewing Mike Michalowicz, author of Profit First, and visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com for full show notes on today's discussion. And check out our archive page. And also, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. 